So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. This is a pre-season episode after our pre-season episode because we've now played our pre-seasons, if that makes any sense at all. Um, this week we'll have a review of the friendlies. We'll talk about our new Spangly strip, whether the new rules have any impact on the friendlies that we saw. A look ahead to our Harlequins match at the weekend and our ideal start of 15. And a bit of general rugby chat, including the 12s. And also, of course, we've got a fond farewell to bid to Toby Flood, because I think we can all um, thank him for his two spells when he provided very good service to the club. As always, you can find us on social media. Yep, so um, on Facebook, if you just simply type in Folk on Falcons, you'll see our picture. Um, Twitter, again, pretty straightforward, as you hopefully are all aware by now. It's simply at Folk on Falcons, and again, you'll see the same picture. And we do have an email account, which I think has only been used twice, so um, if anyone wants to uh, email us, it's folkonfalcons at mail.com. Not Gmail, not Hotmail, just plain old mail.com. I think the best place to start, actually, is our, our new strip scene, because you had a tinfoil hat on and you predicted a, a, a yellow strip. Not quite right, was it? No, no, no not quite right, but, but I'm going to dig myself out the hole here um, and refold my tinfoil hat in that um, I did notice uh, a day before they sort of released or released images in these strips. They did have some marketing material for, for the Quinns game, which was red. And I do remember thinking, oh, hang on, actually, are we going to sort of see a reddish, sort of pinkish sort of strip here? And, uh, and then, funny enough, that of course, next day, it was, it was a red away shirt. So my theory was right. It was just, um, I just jumped the gun a bit, perhaps, uh, okay, initially. So. But yeah, so yeah, I'm still going to hang on to it there. Well, so you, uh, you picked the one bit of... Uh reinforcing market material over the course of the summer where we had various different colours, but I'll let you off. Um, on the strip, I think the um, the red one might grate a bit with a few Newcastle fans of the round ball game, but I actually think it looks quite smart, the away strip. Yeah, I mean, I always think of away strips. You either, I guess, do what they've done the past, well, I guess, three out of the past four years have had some form of green and white away chain shirt, which obviously is a nod back to the traditions and roots of, of Gosford, doesn't it? So, you know, I think it was a waste trip, you know, it's maybe sometimes nice to have a nod too traditional like that, or you just kind of go completely the other way and you make it maybe not necessarily too wild, but radical or more radically different rather to the home strip. So, you know, you have your oranges, your yellows, or in this, this case, your reds, because I mean, you know, how often do we do have a red away strip? And I think the answer, well, there isn't, there's never been a time. And also, I guess if you look from a retail point of view, you know, if you keep bringing out a white away shirt or green away shirt, you know, you think, well, who's, you know, do I want to spend 50 quid on a shirt which is similar last season? But if you get a red one, you think, oh, well, I don't have a red one. I'll, go to the club shop and get a red one. So I can see the reason behind it. There's nothing wrong with having a bit of a, well, something different every so often, is there? And I guess with a, a shoe collection as extensive as yours, Ian, um, red shirts, the match, a different set of shoes to be able to go to the match in a whole new outfit, won't you? Which would be very nice for everyone around. Yeah, well, um, I suppose I'll have, to, I'll have to keep my away one for when I'm on telly or if I do manage to go go to an away one, I'll have to choose all my... Yeah, that's right, I'll have to choose my outfit accordingly, won't I? It's a, yeah, I'll have to think about that one. It's interesting you uh, referred to the old Gosforth Clubs, I think they were actually modelled on Durham School originally, um, if you trace the history books back. So if anybody knows where Durham School's colours originated from, the, the green and white hoops that they similarly play in, please shout, it would be a, a good little bit of trivia. Um also, I wonder whether they're targeting the fans in the Far East, maybe the Thailand and all that, are, um, going to start supporting the Newcastle Falcons the same way that um, the football clubs are like red shirts over there. 
Uh, well, I was thinking maybe far south in terms of weir side or tea side, but uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Um, and then um, the home strip. I wouldn't say there's a great deal to report home about there. Once again, a very smart Macron ship, but. It's not massively different to those of the previous couple of seasons, I don't think. No, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, in of itself, it, it's fine. Um, I mean, very, I guess, kind of safe choice, isn't it? It's pretty much entirely all black. I mean, last season they did, you know, have the grey sleeves and grey bits down the side, didn't they? Um, but yeah, perfectly safe choice, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen it once. I saw the Doncaster game, a perfectly nice shirt. Um, I'm sure fans will flock and uh, buy the new kit. Yeah, so, so far we're... Unbeaten in red, unbeaten in the new uh, home shirt as well. Um, moving on to the treaties and friendlies, which one did we wear against Glasgow? Does anybody know? Was anybody there? I don't think it was so. a red one. It was a the red one. I think it was red on the two away games. Yeah, two out of two. We've uh, stuck it to the Scots in the red shirt. Very good on the friendlies. Glasgow one, unfortunately, uh, we weren't able to attend. But I do know that you attended the uh, Doncaster and you had a trip over the border to Edinburgh as well. So. Your summary on those three games, if we go in any particular order, probably makes sense to start at the beginning chronologically. Yeah, well, I mean, as much as anyone, you know, who watched it or well, watched the live text or kept track of it on Twitter was yeah, as much as really as most of us could do, unfortunately. But I mean, it sounded like swung in both ways a bit. It sounded like they were on top and then sort of towards the end, we got on top and sounded like a game where both teams sort of had their possession and chances didn't really take them. I mean, it was quite low scoring, especially for sort of your first preseason game where perhaps your defences aren't going to be that sharp. But I suppose in this case, you know, maybe the attacks weren't that sharp. You know, we, we kind of came into it more as the game went on um, and they sort of faded away after the first half. It sounded like they defended pretty well, which is what I personally saw in both in the next preseason games. Um, and even though, you know, Richard says it's not matter about the results, you know, obviously, of course, it was nice to go up to Glasgow, a decent team, and, and get a, a positive result certainly um and then the the next match only a couple of days later was Doncaster I'm not sure any players played in the two games or I think it was entirely separate squads for them was it yeah it was a completely separate squad uh, a fairly even match of sort of first team and academy um so for example you had Radwan playing the whole 80 minutes against Doncaster and didn't play at all against Edinburgh so that must have been sort of his run out we were well on top and the first half and that um, and I think really until we made the changes we continued to be on top but then we just sort of let Doncaster in and you know, as Doncaster showed last season they did sort of to an extent push Saracens and Ealing at the top there I mean they're no they're no mugs so um, and they kind of showed that when they I think to be honest if the game went on another 10 minutes 10 15 minutes more you know I think they could have won it um, I think it was a good lesson for a lot of those academy players who were making their first team debuts you know kind of shows them that what can happen if you know you take half the ball or you you know you play against players who yes are at the top level but are perfectly decent players and obviously have that experience and are playing a decent level of rugby week in week out but yeah I think it was encouraging though um after defense apart from perhaps at the end when the changes did cause a bit of disruption what was pretty good and the pleasing thing was for about 70 minutes of that game no matter kind of who who they had on Defensively, they're still very sound. Um, I thought set piece seemed quite solid. We looked dangerous from again from the Morgan McGuigan game. A couple of tries, I think it was. You know, dangerous from from the driving more the, the line out catch and drive. Um, a little bit disappointed that we see there's so many in the end and made it closer than it should have been. But it's you know it is preseason. It gave those players a run out chance for everyone to sort of see those players for the first time. And it, on the whole, you know, it was positive. And, and you know, they won, so you know that's always good. Um, and then I guess. Um... Although we said Doncaster were a very good team, I guess they're a very different outfit to 
regular Heineken Cup contenders Edinburgh. You made the trip up there over the border along with a number of other fans, I believe. And um, when we were against some, what you could call quality opposition, no no offence intended to any Doncaster supporters who may be listening. I'd be surprised if there were, but might be one or two. That game um, seemed a lot more encouraging. Yeah, it was really, it was really good. Um, I think it, it, before you talk, talk about the stadium, in terms of the, the, the game itself, I don't think we had the ball for about, well, I think we had the, yeah, about, I think we had the ball for about a minute, minute and a half of the first half an hour or so. When we did get possession, we just sort of kicked it away or we lost it. But defensively, we were really very good. There was wave after wave of Edinburgh attack. And, you know, I, I was sitting there and, you know, I had the impression that they could sort of do this all day and we would actually hold them out. And we looked really comfortable. And there were times where they were only about a metre or so out quite frequently. But again, you kind of thought, well, they're not going anywhere. And, we seemed really, really solid and eventually they would make a mistake or we'd win the penalty or, or whatever. But it, it, the first half especially wasn't very encouraging that when we did get the ball, I thought we kicked it way too much and, and we were a bit sloppy, but we, we were very clinical, however. Um, on the defensive note, I know both you and I exchanged a couple of glances when it was announced that Stevenson was going to be playing at centre. I've heard people on various online forums and things in the past saying that they see Stevenson becoming a centre in due course. And if I'm honest, I, I don't really share or in the past, I haven't really shared that opinion, largely because of his defence. I feel that last season um, on the wing, quite a lot, he would rush up and then step in and turn his shoulders in and people go around the outside of him. Do you feel that he'd address any of those potential criticisms this match? Or do you feel that um, he was a winger playing in the centre or somebody that could develop into a very good centre in due course? I mean, on the basis of what I saw um, on Saturday, uh, which granted, obviously, is just pre-season friendly and he wasn't playing the whole game. Um, he didn't do anything wrong, but... He didn't, he wasn't, it didn't seem to be like, oh, this is a fantastic stroke of genius playing in the centre. I don't think he really kind of added much there. He is a winger and he looks best on the wing. You know, whether, obviously, if you want to try in these sort of positions, then, you know, this is a game to do it. Maybe it does take a game or two for him to get into it. Maybe playing at centre does help him defensively. Maybe, you know, he has to sort of change his mindset a bit, change how he plays to become a bit more apt at defending. Um, but, I don't know, it just didn't really, I don't think it worked for me. It was nothing wrong with it, but it didn't really add to anything. And I don't think you'd be seeing him there instead of, you know, your Landos or Burrells when the season starts proper. I thought one of the other interesting things was uh, when little, perhaps a little worrying, was when Mike Brown went off after half an hour. So there was no word about any sort of injury or anything. And they did have a few other first team players come off on half an hour, but they kind of reappeared later just sort of in warm-ups or sitting alongside the pitch and I'm certain Brown wasn't included in that so fingers crossed that nothing has happened for him for obviously uh, the, the Quinns game in a week's time. Well you'll, you'll hopefully find that um, they realise that he's still quite good at rugby and then that was enough to say this chap's going to play on Saturday because I think everyone on Mike Brown top of the list wants to see him playing against his old club. On the on the Edinburgh experience, um, were, there, were there a number of Newcastle fans spoiling the party? Or were you one of the, only a few? No, I think there was a decent amount sort of dotted around. You, you saw, especially um, when you're going to the ground, there's a lot of Falcon shirts sort of heading past Murrayfield. Um, I think it was about maybe not quite 7,000 sort of somewhere between six and a half, seven thousand, which I, I think that almost pretty much filled the ground. I mean, maybe a couple of hundred or something, maybe slightly more Falcons fans, but a decent turnout, obviously, for what is a pre-season friendly. Um, they were making, obviously, a, a big occasion of it. So it was the first game in their new stadium, Edinburgh Rugby Stadium. And it's actually the first time they've been in front of fans since 
since lockdown. So obviously the home supporters are all really sort of excited and happy to see them. And um, it, it was satisfying to see at the end sort of all a bit deflated and all their little placky paper flags sort of cast on, on the ground and sort of in disappointment. Uh, and we, we sort of ruined their special day. But I mean, I think Edinburgh is, if you looked at their team as well, it was a strong team, it, but it was only their first pre-season. So, you know, on one hand, yes, I'm sure they were going to be very up for, for winning at their, you know, their, their first game at the new stadium. But also there was definitely rustiness there and especially in attack, as we were saying, how it looked very blunt in front of our, what was steadfast defence. Um, and on the stadium itself, um, we obviously mentioned earlier in the in the last episode how there are a lot of stanchions and whatnot in the in the images. Was it like that in real life? And um, were there people who obviously had a problem sitting behind them? What, how does it compare? It's obviously very different to Murrayfield in the, the nature of the stadium. And I guess it'd be quite exposed to the elements as well. Um, if I can sort of describe it, it's a bit like a, a temporary stoop, if I can call it that. Uh, you get similar sort of view where you do get poles in the way. Luckily, I, I chose my seats pretty well. So we were behind the Riverside end, which is the side opposite to where Murrayfield is. Um, and the way that the, the stand posts are, well, they were in line with the actual go posts. So that didn't really bother us. So I think if you're sitting elsewhere, you would have got them in the way. Um, you do get, the reason I say it's a bit like a, the stoop is you get a fantastic view of Murrayfield, which is as the, the ground is literally in the shadow of Murrayfield. And that, that's nice. You know, you know, you, it's always nice to have sort of a, a, a ground that does have a nice view when you're sitting there. Um, but um, it's, it's not great, is my honest, brutal opinion. It's, for for listeners, I was trying to describe it. Um, it's a bit like if you remember when we had the temporary seating at Kingston Park. Um, it's the actual sort of stands are perhaps slightly better and more modern and slightly more permanent looking, but they're not far off looking like that. Um, and I think for what is supposed to be a permanent, purpose-built stadium for what is a, you know Scotland's capital club, um, arguably sort of premier club it's i personally don't think it's a great look and i mean obviously you made, you made the point actually last time that they will play a lot of the games at murrayfield which is true some of their bigger games but i don't know it just i just it just seemed a bit sort of not you know suitable really but you know they all seem to like it they they, they love being there they're they having a great time until uh well until the game started really but um yeah I, the best bit i think was actually the goalposts because they're already which that was really good i think that's the best bit then if we if we go back to the games itself, obviously the new rules were in effect. Were there any instances where all the players got a bit confused or the fans got a bit confused? or had it, had, Did it look like there was any fundamental change to the game as we feared with a couple of them that they might cut? Not really. So I think if the Doncaster game is obviously the first game I saw and we did see the, the new dropout there. I think it was Falcons held Doncaster up. Yeah, I think it was. And then we we obviously t- took the dropout. I think it only happened once. So that didn't t- obviously particularly have a big impact on the game. And they tried with the new 2250 a couple of times in the Edinburgh game. So we did try in Doncaster as well, but they got close, I think, with the Edinburgh game. It actually, I'm seeing it live, you do kind of get the impression it's actually harder than it looks because there were a few attempts made and there were a couple of close, I think Penny came really close actually at one point, Colin maybe another time, but it was actually quite difficult to actually carry out. So you do have to, from the looks of it, kind of strike a balance between obviously trying it on and just sort of playing it conventionally, if I can call it that. I know the logic behind the rule was that the defending wingers would drop back and then there'd be a bit more room 
on the wings for the attacking team. Um, did it look like that was the defending team's tactics? They were dropping their wings back to prevent the um, exploitation of that space. I don't know. I, I, I Honestly, I would say no. But again, that could be because it was, this would be the first time Edinburgh were playing with these roles and it was their first pre-season. When, it, when they did try it on, it was because there was a lot of space there. And the unlucky aspect was the fact that the kick just didn't quite, well, you know, it bounced slightly wrong or, you know, it bounced slightly too soon in the wrong direction or whatever. But they did it because there was there were gaps there. It, it didn't appear to me that certainly the Edinburgh wingers were aware of it or or it was sort of the forefront of the mind when, when they were defending. Um, Obviously, that could change. As I've said, it's their first game pre-season, so it may not be switched on in that regard. But like I said before, it just show how actually it's quite difficult to pull off. But, you know, as the season goes on, maybe it gets refined. So if we move on to, after reviewing the pre-season games and last season and all our extensive knowledge of players, etc., um, if we have to do our starting 1-15 to for the match on Saturday, um, what would your squad be? Our loose head prop would be... Well, I think it would have to be War Trev, wouldn't it? I think we'd start here. War Trev, um, number one. Yeah. Um, Hook is the tricky one, I think. McGuigan or Blamire? Yeah. Um, well, he seems to start with McGuigan, doesn't he? And I think, looking at the preseason games, that seems to be what's going to happen. So I would probably still go with McGuigan. Um, then... I mean, I think it's a bit harsh for you to say, oh, well, Blamire's an impact player, because obviously you have a lot more than that. But I think just for consistency, um, I would have McGuigan there. Um, I think that uh, going forward this season, we've obviously got a great deal of talent with both players. I think McGuigan will probably be the, the hooker we play if we have to get around the park a bit more. And then McGlamire may well end up being the, the one where if we're against a bigger pack, then we might end up siding with him just because of the, the nature of their two games. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a re- that's one of the interesting questions this coming season, isn't it, in terms of position? You know, is it? Is it... Lemire's time, you know, I mean uh, it, how long can you kind of consistently keep him on the bench um, I don't know, but I think early season we'll, we'll just say, well for the sake of simplicity, but also I think it's probably at this time still best just to keep McGuigg in there And then to finish off the front row, number three tight oh, It's got to be Logo, it's got to be Mullipola Yeah, I, I think there's not many people that would argue with you there, right, then we, we get to the second rows, um Sean Robinson, obviously, back from injury. Was he looking fit and sprightly? Um, well, he's one of the players who actually went off after half an hour. Um, obviously, he's just come back from injury. I mean, look, looked fine. Got himself around the park, no problem. I mean, you couldn't tell he just come back from injury particularly. Um, though, to be fair, we were, as I say, on the defence of the vast majority of the time. So, you know, you can only judge so much from that. But obviously, he's, he's very much in the mind for the Quinns game, so they took him off fairly quickly. Um, but then you don't know how fully fit he is, really. But I think he's got to be in contention to at least be in the squad or even start, depending on fitness. Um, and in the second row, if you had to, if he was fit, would you have, I'm going to say our headline three second rows, we've got um, Fusa, Peterson, Robinson, but we've also got people like Van der Valt who've proved their worth there as well. So um, who would be your starting locks? Well, I would still have Fuser and, and Peterson, because I just think consistently they've been really good for us. And uh, both of them are uh, just think fantastic assets in the lineup. They'll never, never let anyone down. I um another interesting shot. I didn't think it was started, but I was actually quite impressed with Dalton in the two games that I saw of him. Doncaster, he looked really good and he, he came on. So he started against Doncaster, but he, he came on, I think, in the second half against Edinburgh. And again, I 
he seemed to be pretty solid. So I think that's actually pleasingly another good option. I mean, obviously that's what you're signed for in second row. But I think again, in terms of consistency, you know, you don't change what's broken. I think if both Fuser and and Peterson are fit, then he, I think we'd start both of them. Um, and then this, the back row, where we've always been sport for choice. Um, I think I could list about five or six players I'd want to start in the back row, but obviously not allowed to. Um, who would be your who would be a number six? Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because I've noticed, I'm sure other people noticed, sort of in pre-season, there has been a few players missing. And, you know, there's been, there's no Mark Wilson, there's been no Gary Graham, no Nathan Earl either. Though Nathan Earl did appear in the, the, the Premiership launch photo shoot with Twickenham, so he's definitely around there somewhere. So, you know, how, how fit are these players? You know, are they, are they just being rested because they do have any injuries, but knowing full well that they are going to start or play a part, certainly against Quinns, and they're just kind of keeping them safe for that. So I don't know. I mean, obviously I would say Wilson if he was fit, but I have no idea if he is. I think I'd probably put Van der Vaart in there, actually. I think he's looked pretty good in preseason, actually. Your blind side would be... Um, <laughs> I think I might um, Wilson blindside. Mm. I think Wilson is obviously I don't know if he's fit or not. Um, assuming fit, I think I put Wilson at blindside. I think Collett has been very good, and I, I might give him a chance at open side, especially against Harlequins. And then you could always uh, take him off if he turns out to be rubbish. Put Wilson at open side after twenty minutes. And then put someone else on on the blind side. And I think I'd probably start with uh, Chick at number eight, provide a bit of shunt in, to the pack. Yeah, an interesting option actually at number eight is Ferns. So Ferns, catch our best player against Edinburgh. Every time he got the ball, he made yards and he was absolutely brilliant in defence as well. He's causing all sorts of trouble to break down. Um, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think he's got to play some sort of part against Quinns. Um, I mean, I suppose, you know, you possibly maybe would start with Chick. I don't know. Um, but Ferns has really kind of thrown down a gauntlet there. I thought he looked absolutely brilliant. So I think he's got to be in contention there somewhere. And then um, if we go to Scrum Hop, obviously Schroeder scored a very nice uh, breakaway try at the weekend against Edinburgh. Uh, we've also got Sam Stewart, who um, I think has once again proved his worth in the in the matches before the season starts. So who would you go with there, particularly considering our opposition? Probably shrewd on the basis of what I've seen in pre-season because it's only, he's been a really the only sort of senior scrub off I've seen in pre-season. Um, it seems to be, I think, lean towards maybe maybe him starting because, again, there's no Mickey Young, is there, um, in pre-season, so we don't know what's kind of happening with that. Yep, and then um, is there anyone else to contend for our fly half spot after Toby Flood's retirement, or is it going to be... It's going to be Colin, isn't it? And I think it's a really big season for him. I think he's going to have to really sort of step up and get some consistency because it's going to be, you know, with no real sort of, we haven't strengthened that position and he's really going to have to kind of step up, I think, this season and, and get his consistency spot on. And then number 12, um, inside centre, would you go for Burrell? Well, Burrell, normally yes. However, he picked up an injury against Doncaster and he's still in sort of like a moon boot thing. So... Uh, I presume he's probably going to be unavailable for, for Quinn's unless he sort of makes some sort of quick recovery. I don't know. I think maybe I would have Luke Hulk maybe there. Um, I think we're going to be struggling for centre because, of course, there's no Orlando as well. He's still away at the Rugby Championship. Um, so I think I probably would have Luke Hulk there. Okay, and then Orlando at 13, I guess, following what you just said. And then on the left wing, number 11, would you go with anyone except Stevenson? No, I would go with Stevenson. I think. And then I think we can all agree with Radran on the right. So, well, of course. Good, um, and um, I feel sorry for Penny in a way because I think once again he's 
played quite well in the pre-seasons, but I think is there is there anyone you'd put in front of uh, Mike Brown at the minute, especially going against Harlequins? Well, assuming he's fit, then absolutely not. It's got to be Mike Brown, hasn't it? I mean, he's written in the stars for a performance yeah. from him, isn't it? Very much so. Mike Brown hat-trick, you heard it here first. And then I think we could go on to uh, re- realms and realms of possibilities for our bench, but um, I think you're probably bored of our 15 minutes talking about 15 men. So um, if we move on to um, the next bit, um, if we just look at some of the rugby news from this week, um, it was announced that our Challenge Cup group was going to be Biritz, Toulon and Zebra from Italy. We're only playing each of these teams once. Um, so we're playing Zebra at home, uh, Biritz and Toulon away. Biritz and Toulon games are separated by their, all their consecutive weekends, both in France. Um, those of you au fait with French geography will know that they're both in the south of France. However, there are rumours afield that Biritz are in the process of doing a Wimbledon FC and relocating to the equivalent of, I guess, Milton Keynes, that being Lille. And um, the rumours are that they may well play their European games in Lille this year, as opposed to Biarritz. If I was a Biarritz fan, I'd be absolutely furious, but I'm not, so I don't really care. So I guess that means that um, if we just look at the practicalities of travel for those games, um, Lille is actually incredibly easy to get to. Um, It's on the Eurostar from London, um, so it's not terribly difficult to get there and back in the day if you live vaguely um, on the East Coast mainline or if you're in the southeast of England. However... Toulon is the complete opposite end of the country on the Mediterranean coast. So if Biarritz were actually playing in Biarritz, it'd be a nice little road trip, I reckon, to travel around the south of France for a week. But as it stands, you don't really want to be driving um, the length of France in the car and paying the exorbitant toll on the motorways. And yeah, I did have a quick sort of play around on your sky scanners and things and look at you, look at your Google Maps and whatnot. You, know, you sort of contemplate, oh, you know, have a week in the south of France, you know, whatever, going from, all right, yeah, it's sort of one, end, one coast to another. But I mean, and, in, so, and it's in uh, January. And it's in January, yeah, but south of France would be nice enough, maybe. Uh, Get your shorts and t-shirt on, I'm sure, Ian. Yeah, yeah, well, always. But yeah, I mean, the, ironically, maybe the fact it is in Lille makes it a bit harder, because obviously you have to go from literally one end, one corner of the France to um, to the other corner in, in a week instead of just sort of a, along the bottom coast. But uh, I don't know, I'm, I think that's a pretty attractive proposition. I mean, Biarritz, nice to see them back in the top flight again. Obviously, they've been in Division 2 for a long time now. But yeah, I mean, obviously, if I can go back to Toulon, I'll be all over that. Absolutely brilliant, fantastic memories. It'd be great to beat such a prestigious club once again. Yes, very much a Lele Noir. Looking ahead to Quinns, we've kind of said our hypothetical starting 15. Um, how do you think the match is going to pan out? Obviously, Quinns have got an extremely strong squad, as they proved, especially in the latter half of last season and when they um, came back in that fantastic Premiership final. Do you see it being a closer affair than when we played them at the end of the year and got comprehensively beaten? Or do you think that, once again, it'll be a very tall order and we might come off second best? I think it'd be more like our home win, actually, against them last season. It's so hard to tell because it's the first game in the new season. I know, you know we've had three pre-season wins and... Harlequins have had a good couple of good wins as well. Um, of course, comeback wins, uh, which is, seems to be their sort of thing at the moment. But you just can't tell. And, you know, my heart says that maybe we are going to pull it off because, you know, we're, we're, we're at home in front of presumably a pretty full Kingston Park for the first time in a long time. You know, we could, we'll have Mike Brown play, you know, everything. It just kind of, all, it's always written stars, isn't it? But I do see it being kind of similar to, to that game last year. I think on evidence of what I've seen, our defence is going to be pretty strong. 
But is it going to be, are we going to be able to outscore Quinns despite having a really good defence? Because, I mean, obviously, theirs isn't exactly all right, but I, I don't know. That's going to be, the, that's going to be the, the tough thing and a tough ask. I mean, as Richard saying in his post-match comments, is obviously the defence was very good and we kept out what was a decent Edinburgh team, but Quinns is going to be a completely different kettle of fish. So I don't know. I, I'm going to be optimistic and say we, we'll be similar to last season that we do pull off a slim margin win. But it's going to be pretty close, I think. But it should be a really exciting game, actually. I think in many ways it's quite evenly matched, but it's kind of different aspects. As it stands, the weather forecast for the weekend looks like it's going to be a fairly still, or as still as Kingston Park can be, a crisp um, autumnal day. Um, so I guess if that plays into anyone's hands, it might play into Harlequins a bit more with their style of rugby. But um, it looks like it's got the everything in line for a cracking uh, start to the season encounter. Yeah, I mean, absolutely can't wait. Um, if anything, just to kind of see a, a full kicks and park again. But but we genuinely do have a really, really good chance of pulling off a really good result. And I just can't wait. And I think even if they don't win, which of course is very much a, a possibility, I think, you know, as long as we kind of, I think the key thing is we want to start picking up points, don't we, obviously. But then we, the the deficiency last season was, of course, not picking up those losing bonus points. So, you know, let's at least have a good go, try and score some tries. You know, let's try and keep it really competitive as an absolute minimum and come away from the game with, with something. So at least we get some points on the board and we can then look to Bath the week after and maybe pick up a result there. But absolutely can't wait. Very much so. I think we're all looking forward to, to getting back on swing. If those people aren't uh, fortunate enough to have tickets to the match like you, um, Got your season ticket this year. Is it a season ticket or a season card or one of those little electronic things? What what have you got? Well, I mean, card? you don't get your little booklet with where you rip the paper out anymore. It is just a, it is like a little credit card thing which they they scan as you go into into your whatever stand you're in. Does it all arrive seamlessly? I know that there seems to be endless problems with tickets at the Falcons, but I think this one actually turned up on time and everything, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, we picked up ours at Doncaster game. They had a little sort of marquee outside the club shop and gave your surname and they sort of went through the envelopes and handed it to us. And yeah, I mean, that was absolutely fine. And then I'm sure those who didn't go to Doncaster game, but our scenes in has got their post, theirs posted out fine. Um, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. So, you know, good thing is at least everyone has their tickets by Quinns and let's hope the new shirts come in time for Quinns as well. Because I asked and they said that, Hopefully, hopefully optimistic, maybe customers let them have their shirt, let us and the club shop get their shirts in time for the Quinns game. So I'll actually <laughs> wait for a, my, my phone call, which they said they'll call all the people pre ordered up to see if they can go down to the shop and collect them this week. So, so uh, do, you reckon, do you reckon someone um, drove along with the shirts from the matches in the back of their car the other day, the ones they played in, and smuggled them into the country? Well, uh, no, I think what it is is obviously the main Italy, aren't they? So there's some sort of it, there's, there's a lorry sort of coming up from sort of Verona, wherever they're made, sort of as we speak, and it's sort of trundling along and the man's having a few rests here and there and is being held up at Calais or whatever. And uh, yeah, so we've got to wait for, for the, the lorry load to eventually make its way up to Kingston Park. But uh, fingers crossed we get our new shirts for the start of the season. But because you remember last year, I think they arrived on the day of the Bath game, didn't they? They couldn't have come any closer. And um, if we if we aren't fortunate enough to be able to go to the game, um, it's on BT Sport again this year, isn't it? So... Um... As per usual, you have to work out which, which channel on BT it's on and then uh, hope it's actually on that one. They haven't rescheduled it without telling anybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, BT Sport does have the, the, the rights again and we will get 
obviously a few games. Uh, just to remind people, of course, it won't be like last season where every game will be on um, this time. It will, you know, the, the games are selected for TV as per pre-COVID. And I think on the website there, they announced sort of the amended kickoff times and as and when which games are on BT. Because I don't think, for example, I don't think the Bath game is on BT. So it may just be a case of listening to a... Uh, Get your tranny out and put Radio Newcastle on and uh, listen to that one. Medium wave commentary. So, um, one other thing when we're talking about TV rights, etc. Something that's broken the news this week, but um, hasn't had a huge amount of traction in the, the mainstream press, but could have a huge impact on players, contracts, etc. Is this Rugby 12's idea that's been floated. Um, seems like it's been a bit more than floated and it could end up being a cross between the 100 in cricket and the Super League in football. It's... Um, one of these strange franchise-based uh, setups where it could be that uh, the players, the money and everything else get sucked straight out of Premiership Rugby. For me, it's a non-starter. Uh, I don't particularly like it. I think if we, from a, a non-fan point of view, because I mean, obviously, you know, we're our fans supporters and they, we always want the entertainment as much of it as possible. But if we kind of look at it from the players' point of view, you know, I'm sure in many ways the last thing they want is... I mean, of course, I mean, I'm sure many get very well paid for it, and that may well be enough for, for a lot of them, and fair enough. But, you know, that's a lot of extra games for players who, you know, put their bodies on the line as much as they are week in, week out anyway. And I think that's a factor which I think some people perhaps haven't looked at yet. Um, I think you, you love rugby because you're a sphere and you like to scrum. And one of the things that this game's going to have is it's only going to have one scrum being reset and then it'll be taps and all the rest of it so that it keeps the game flowing. And um, I think like a lot of these things where it's, it's effectively going to be a sport recreated for television, people actually enjoy rugby, know the nuance of it or get forgotten about. And it'll all be about fireworks before kickoff, um, cartwheeling cheerleaders when someone, I don't know, does a 40-22 or whatever it's called. There'll be a whole lot of strange rules that get rapidly reduced year on year and I can just see it sucking the the lifeblood out of rugby and if I was a a player if we take Radwan for example he's hot property in 15 aside rugby on a 12 aside pitch I think he'd be absolutely unbelievable and the fact of the matter is if if you're a player where realistically your career could end any season because of an unforeseen injury and you get offered lots of lots of hundreds of thousands to play for a, a franchise club backed by businessmen from South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, the UK, America, wherever, I think it'd be a very difficult one to turn around. I just hope that um, somehow it gets nipped in the bud. But um, if I'm perfectly honest, I can see it being one of these things where it takes off for a couple of years, destroys club rugby, falls to bits, and then we're left picking up the pieces. You mentioned sort of the super leafing with the the football fast a few moments ago. And I think in some ways... It might be like that on a smaller scale where, but in this case, perhaps, as you mentioned, some of the players may well be on board because of that money involved. TV may well be on board, of course, with it, and they may be trying to push it and market it. But I think the supporters, just general sort of rugby fans, supporters just won't have it. I think I think they'll vote with their feet or they'll, with their remote controls or whatever. They just won't watch it. I mean, of course, you will get some people who will watch it. But I think generally the vast majority of uh, Rugby supporters in this country just, I just, just don't think it will appeal to them. And I think if if they knew that their traditional way of rugby or their clubs on the line, I think they will vote with their feet and, and not bother. And I think importantly, what you said, those rugby fans in this country, you've got to remember that this isn't a, a U, England or UK based um, tournament. It's going to have representation from all over the world. And you've got to remember that every single Southern Hemisphere country basically bankrupts with 
there are a few at the minute. They get no fans as it is. The the only thing that keeps um, South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia afloat is the uh, Tri Nations or Championship, as it's now called. I think they'll probably end up if it happens. They'd end up being a franchise in Ireland, probably one in Wales, one in Scotland, maybe a couple in England or or something, and then maybe one from each of the uh, the Pacific nations or um, Argentina. So I, I don't know what will happen, but it's the sort of thing where if a load of money gets thrown at it, suddenly you'll get a load of Americans watching it, God knows what hour. Um, South Africans will probably tune in. It might make various forms of rugby a more global game, but I think it will definitely be to the detriment of clubs like the Falcons, unfortunately. I, don't know. I think because if you've got to look at your biggest market as it stands, it's got to be the UK, because it's a much bigger television market, say Australia, New Zealand or, or South Africa. And if there's no appetite for it here, yes, I know, obviously, as you said, you can. there's a global aspect to it. But I think for it to succeed, and that's why they're kind of pushing it by... I believe having the inaugural one or trying to have the inaugural one in England, because I think if you don't get the television audience here, then all the sport for it here, then that's that, that's a pretty big hammer blow. I mean, Southern Hemisphere quite often is its own thing. I know they have essentially franchises anyway and that sort of thing. It might get a bit more traction down there, but I think if we are going to look at if it is going to be successful, I think it does have to kind of succeed here which personally, I don't think it will. Um, and I think if that doesn't kill it, it may well limit it to like a sort of a fun summer tournament in the summer's hem- in the summer hemisphere, which you know you may occasionally get a few northern hemispheres. A bit like the um, Indian Premier League in cricket, isn't it? Perhaps it might end up a little bit like that to, to a lesser degree. But I mean, that's personally my thoughts on it. Unless Seymour Curdy ends up with big, big money in the game and the Falcons end up with a brilliant franchise that we all love, then we'll have to form Rugby Rebellion and... Um concrete ourselves to roads outside the ground to make it a complete debacle and hold up the kickoff time for the first game and all the all the coaches and um, buses and whatnot won't be able to arrive and um, seems to be perfectly legitimate these days. Um, sorry, I'm getting on a political rant here. I probably shouldn't. But um, yeah, we'll um, have to take some sort of direct action. I'll hold up the sign. You can concrete yourself to the floor. <laughs> Fair enough. So um, I think we're all looking forward to the the return of rugby. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we uh, say cheerio? Yeah, I think uh, last but not least, it's worth having a mention about club legend Toby Flood, isn't it? Um, obviously, with his recent news of his retirement, I think it was expected because he did his appearances did drop off towards the end of last season. Even though, obviously, he made a very good start last season. Remember his try, well, sorry, his game-winning kick to, for the try against Sale, for example. But... Um, I think the writing was on the wall and he even kind of mentioned that himself, how, you know, he had discussions with with, with uh, Richards and the coaching staff about, you know, he I wanted more of going to coaching, his body couldn't take it anymore. He's doing his degree at Cambridge as well. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's the right move. And but actually before he, he made his announcements, um, you, you could see him actually recording some of the kicking in the warm-up um, against Doncaster. He was wearing his coaching gear and he was... Um, so it's got a bit of an indication there. But, I mean, the best luck to him. I mean, we obviously want to do well, especially as he's the Falcons um, in a coaching capacity and absolutely, you know, brilliant playing career. Shame he couldn't quite get a World Cup under his belt. But in terms, in terms of his Falcons career, I mean, he's never, let him, he's never let us down. He's always been absolutely brilliant and he always will be sort of a, a club legend. I can remember uh, being in the South Stand. It must have been, I think it was. It might be in his debut against Wasps. He was playing fullback, and they kicked the ball through, and he looked like he was going to get mullered by about three of them. And he managed to sidestep within our own twenty-two, three of them, and he went on a break down the left touch line. And um, I was right behind him, and the only thing he did wrong was he passed the two-on-one too early. 
And I think that's because he was a, a, a teenager prepared to get splattered by some massive second row running towards him. But he passed too early, and whoever it was, it might have been Tate or uh, it might have even been uh, someone like Tom May at that point on the wing, um, ended up scampering down, but they got caught before he managed to score. But had he held on to it for another two metres, uh, we would have scored. But then since that time, um, he, he learned and he became invaluable. And he certainly contributed to a, an awful lot of tries over the years, an awful lot of points. And also, the point at which he, he left when there's a mass exodus, you can't really hold against him. But credit to him, he, he came back and played for his boyhood club when he was later on in his career, and he certainly helped us out big time. Yes, we had a brilliant success at Leicester and, and, and Toulouse, didn't he? I mean, I think especially at those two clubs, playing for you know two what were very, very good teams, absolutely top teams at the time, you know, he showed that you could kind of mix it with the best in Europe. And I think what kind of sums it up actually was, I mean, we're always going to have kind of have, you know, look at it through sort of rose-tinted glasses, aren't we? But I think last season when we spoke to the, the Harlequins podcast, when we said to them, you know, what player would you like, you know, from the Falcons if you could? And they said, oh, no, we would really like Toby Flood. And we sort of looked at you, you know, we sort of thought, eh, Toby Flood? Um, but, you know, but that, especially when they got Marcus Smith. But, you know, I think that kind of speaks volumes about sort of even now or the, even then, as it was a year ago, of his qualities as a player and sort of as a sort of person you would want in your team that you'd still have, you know, you still have opposition fans and fans up and down the country but still sort of want to have him out of any, any other player that we have in our squad is sort of play, playing for, for their team. So I think that in and of itself spoke absolute volumes. Um, I think he's certainly one that will hopefully see around in the in the club colours, even if they're not the playing colours for years to come. And I'm sure there are plenty of us that would buy him a pint if we saw him at a bar. So from both of us at Falcon Falcons, thank you to Toby Flood. And um, I think on that, we look forward to the weekend. And thank you for listening. Bye, everyone.